Oh, well, I was the first person to be second. Well, that makes it much better. Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay, let's uh, jump right in. All right, great. This week, we're going to be diving deep into the scriptures. Okay. Now, as you may or may not know, there are 66 books in the Bible, and each book is just full of wisdom. Oh, I already know all the books of the Bible. You do? Oh, yeah. How? Well, I wrote a song. A song? Yeah. It goes like this. Matthew, Mark, Dr. Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, and then 2 Corinthians. That's correct. Oh, okay, sorry. So you know the books of the Bible. I do, yes. At least the New Testament. Well. That's great. Um, this week is not totally about the books of the Bible, bro. Okay. This week we're talking about scripture memorization. Okay, that's cool. Now, why is memorizing scripture so important? Oh, it's, it's critical in the life of a Christian. Okay. Scripture memorization helps us to know how to live our lives. It helps us to encourage others, and um, it helps us be better at defending and sharing our faith. Wow. You know, all that sounds awesome, Dale, but um, to be honest with you, <clears throat> I don't need to memorize Scripture because uh, I've got a system. What do you mean, you've got a system? <laughs> I've got a system for perfect Scripture recall. I call it... The Dugginator Calculator. <laughs> you give me the number for any chapter and verse in the Bible, and I can tell you exactly what that verse says. Yeah, there's no way that's going to work, Doc. Oh, no, it is a thing, and here's how it works. So, I take the chapter number and the verse number, I add them together, all right? Then I multiply that by 7, because, you know, that's God's perfect number, right? Then I multiply that by 66, because, you know... 66 books in the Bible. <laughs> then I adjust for pie. Or do I eat a slice of pie? Well, either way. And then I randomly assign a letter to each number. And then, boom, there's your verse. Yeah, that's ludicrous. I know numbers, and I know scripture, and I also know there's no way that's going to work. Okay, Mr. Smarty Pants. Why don't you give it a try? Go ahead. Any chapter, any verse. Okay. Try John eleven forty-three. All right. Dugginator calculator. Carry the two up. And after he had spoken these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. That's, I, I, but that doesn't mean it. It's okay. It's okay. Breathe, Dale. Breathe. Sometimes awesome hurts. <laughs> I tell you, I love the story of Lazarus, though. It's such a great story. But, you know, there's something about that story that's always puzzled me. Um, who do you think the other three people in the grave were? Well, there's just one person in the grave. It was Lazarus. Well, then why did Jesus say, Lazarus, come forth? <laughs> I've never understood that. You know, the, sometimes you just feel wild, but I got it. <laughs> it just makes my head hurt. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Oh, no. Hey, Dale, what is your favorite Bible verse? Uh, my favorite Bible verse? Well, yeah. I, I, I don't have just one favorite. I, I have a lot of verses that I really love. 
There is one, though, that's really applicable to Scripture memorization. It's Psalm 119.11. It says, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Hmm. That is a good one. I guess my favorite Bible verse is the one where it talks about how Alabama is awesome. Uh, <laughs> Alabama is not in the Bible. Oh, yeah, it is. In fact, I read it just last night. Let's see uh, if I remember correctly. It's Ezekiel twenty twenty nine. Go ahead. Look it up. Ezekiel twenty twenty nine. I'll be waiting right here while you look it up. It says, so I asked him, where is this high place to which you are going? And they call it Bama to this day. There you go. <laughs> That is not what they did there, Gotcha. But I, I still am not buying some crazy system. I, I don't know how you guessed the last one, but I'm not buying it. All right. Well, then try me one more time. Any chapter, any verse. Duganator right. calculator. You ready? I'm ready. Acts. Chapter. Um, two, verse one. All right. Adjust for pi. Ah. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all in one accord. Okay, so that's pretty close. Oh, no, that's it. And actually, that reminds me, I've actually got to get going because um, I've got to go to the Honda dealership. Why are you going to a Honda dealership? Oh, well, next Sunday, I've invited my traveling rodeo clown troop, <laughs> and so I've got to go by the Honda dealership because we want to do what the Bible says. We want to all be in one accord. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Don't you wish that scripture memory was that easy? I mean, it was just, you throw it in a mathematical equation, then boom, you've got it. Uh, I'm not sure about you, but um, I had to learn a, a foreign language when I was in middle school. And so the one that I chose my eighth grade year was French. And I thought, Psh, how hard could this be? So throughout that eighth grade year, I started learning numbers and colors and letters but by the time I finished out that year, I just didn't have confidence. So I thought, okay, next year I get to high school, I'm going to take French 1 again. And so I did. And I started learning colors and numbers and letters. But at the end of the semester, I didn't finish with a good grade. So my sophomore year, I thought, this is it. I can do this. I'm going to do my third year of French 1, okay? So I take it and I get to the very end of the class and I just barely get by with a passing grade. Now contrast that with Philip Haney. Philip is a charter member of Westwood. He's been here for a long time. And when he was in school, he took Spanish. He took a, an entire summer when he was in college to go to Mexico City, where he lived for three months. And while he was there, he lived with a, a family that only spoke Spanish. And he completely immersed himself in a Spanish-speaking culture. Well, here we are five decades later, and Philip can still speak Spanish. In fact, a, a few years ago, 
Phil and a couple of other men from our church went to Mexico to share the gospel with an unreached people group, people who have never heard the gospel before. And while we're down there, I, we had dinner, and one night we, I saw a bunch of teenage boys playing soccer. And I'm like, that's a language I can speak. And so I went out there, and I played soccer. You know, Joe Davis is in gold. I'm like, Joe, just don't let him score and throw the ball to me, and we'll take it from there. We ended up beating these guys in soccer, but I said, before you guys leave, I said, everybody come here, everybody come here. And I said, Philip, come here, please. And Phil comes over, and I began sharing the gospel with these guys, and he begins translating everything I'm saying into Spanish so they can grab hold of the gospel. Well, how in the world can someone like Phil, five decades later, still hold fast to a language like Spanish? It's because he immersed himself in it. When the time came for him to, to, to learn this language, he gave himself completely to it so that it became part of the fabric of who he is in his ability to relate with people who speak that language. Well, as we look at the scriptures, we see where God has given us his word for us to immerse ourselves in it, to internalize the word so that we might know Christ and go and live for his glory. That's the point that the psalm writer is making in Psalm 119. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 119. We're going through a sermon series as a church entitled For Impact, in which we're looking at four different ways where we as a church can become more faithful to the gospel and to the Great Commission. Uh, our church, um, this, the mission of our church is to invest in people who will impact their world for Jesus. That's the mission that God had give, has given to his church. When we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, is that indeed he invested his life into people who would then in turn go and impact their world for Christ. And so as the Great Commission is the mandate that has been given to us as believers, you and I, we go and do just what Jesus did. We invest in people, discipleship, who will go impact their world, evangelism, and we do it all for Jesus. And one of the, the things we've been emphasizing is not only the scripture memory, but last week we introduced this idea of inviting people, that we would invite for impact. The challenge that we placed before all of Westwood is that you would invite four people per month to come and gather with us. We looked at John chapter 1 of how we see uh, Peter, I'm sorry, Andrew, who invited his brother Peter to come and meet with Jesus, and his life was radically changed. We see Andrew who goes and invites his friend, uh, to Nathaniel, to come and meet Jesus. And he meets Jesus and his life is forever changed. Well, the same is true for us. When we invite people to come and gather with us, with the body of Christ, people have the opportunity to hear the gospel and be transformed by the good news of Jesus. This week I had a couple of opportunities, one that I completely missed. I was at the grocery store, and this young girl was helping push my, my cart out to my car and load up the groceries, and she heads back inside, and it wasn't until she was gone that I went, ah, oh, man, that was a perfect opportunity, and I missed it. So I'm not sure if you ever have those, but man, I, I missed that opportunity. But I made like a commitment in my mind, I'm not going to let another, another opportunity pass. So Friday, I'm at an auto parts store here in Alabaster. And I'm returning some oil from changing my oil from the week before. And there's a young girl there. And I said, hey, are you connected to a faith family? Are you going to church anywhere? And she says, nope. 
And I said, well, awesome. I said, I want to invite you to be my guest to come to Westwood. And I gave her an invite card, and I just extended that invitation, and I'm, I'm hoping that she'll come and connect with our faith family. We have invite cards out the info center that you can grab hold of. So this morning when I got here, I went out to the, the atrium, and I went to that invite jar, and I dropped a marble in there. So every invitation, whether people come or not, just keep dropping marbles in there. Why? It's for encouragement. I mean, how cool would it be to see this stage full of marbles at the end of the year to see how many people we've been inviting to come and gather with us as a faith family? But it's also a great opportunity for accountability because, oh, man, I see those jars, but I haven't invited someone in a while. It's just a good reminder to be focused on, on the great commission of trying to make much of Jesus where God has placed us. Well, when we get to Psalm 119, we see that God is not only calling us to invite for impact, but to internalize for impact. Well, to internalize what? Well, the answer is the Word of God. Psalm 119 is the Mount Everest of all chapters throughout the entire Bible. It's the longest chapter throughout all of Scripture with 176 verses broken down into 22 sections with 8 verses per section. Each of the 22 sections has a subtitle above it, and that is a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And you see, the Psalms is just a rich book to study. Many of the Psalms uh, are songs of worship that are written in the form of poetry. You see, brief sentences and statements that are just robust with emotion and expression. You read of the works of the psalm writers who, who soar with excitement and exuberance over the greatness of God. And you read of psalm writers who are in the pit of despair, struggling with depression and agony. And yet through it all, you see the character of God on display. As God is the hero, he is the savior, he is the defender, he is the faithful one throughout all of the psalms. And yet Psalm 119 is a masterpiece in and of itself. You read of a psalm writer who is hungry for God's word. He longs to encounter God through his word. And yet we also get the practical application of God's word for our lives. Read with me in Psalm 119 beginning with verse 9. The psalm writer states, How can a young man keep his way pure? Boy, is that a question for our day. Men, as we live in a world that is saturated with sin and ungodliness, that is pointing us, to the way, uh, pointing us away from the, the person and work of Jesus, how can you and I, how can we be young men who keep our way pure? Verse 9, by keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Lord, may you be blessed Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees, as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Almost every verse throughout this psalm gives a reference to God's word. Sometimes it's referenced as God's commands or as his precepts, his instruction, his decrees, his judgments. But the text drives home not only the value, but the centrality of God's word in the life of the believer. 
God's word is to be on our minds and is to be on our hearts. And when God's word is in your heart, it is then that you are equipped, verse 11, to not sin against God. Do you want victory over pornography? Do you want victory over anger, over lust, over pride, over a sharp tongue? Then the answer is found in internalizing the word. Well, Kenneth, how do I do that? How do we internalize the word of God into our hearts? Well, let me show you five keys to scripture memory. Five keys to internalizing the word into your heart and life. They're all found here in verse in Psalm 119. I want you to see first. The first key is this. Number one is you've got to read it. You've got to read it. Look at verse 30. The psalm writer states, I have chosen the way of truth. I have set your ordinances before me. The psalm writer has decided the path of his life. He has decided the way that he is going to go, and he is going to go the way of truth. He's going to go the way of God's word. And he further states, I have set your ordinances before me. That phrase, have set, it means to lay before. Like a traveler who lays before himself a map across a table. So the believer is to lay before us God's word. You see, as believers, we have the honor of reading God's word that is set before us. Do you realize how much of a privilege you and I have to have God's word in our language? Today, there are 1.5 billion people who do not have a Bible in their native tongue. They do not have the ability to read God's word in a language in which they can understand. And yet God has graciously given us many different translations that we can grab hold of to seek to understand the meaning of the text so that we might draw near to the one who wrote the book. But here's the key. If you want to know God's word, if you want to memorize God's word, you have to read it. You have to take the time to read the word. These are the fundamentals of being a follower of Jesus. Just as a football player, he practices the fundamentals of blocking and tackling. And as a basketball player, practices the fundamentals of passing and shooting and dribbling. As a curler, practices the fundamentals of pushing a rock and pushing a broom back and forth. The fundamental for the believer is the daily reading of God's Word. These are the basic practices that we live out that help us to grow and to mature. Because don't miss this truth. Your spiritual maturity is directly connected to the depth of your knowledge of the word. Don't miss that. See, the converse is also true. If you don't read this book, you you can't mature as a believer. There's only so far you can go if you stay disconnected from God through his word. You see, as Baptists, we're known as people of the book. We're people who love this book. We defend this book. We preach this book. We obey this book. But we can't do any of those things if we don't take time every day to read this book. Well, secondly, it's not only to read it, but number two, meditate on it. Look with me at verse 97. The psalm writer states, How I love your instruction." It is my meditation all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are always with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, because your decrees are my meditation. 
That word meditation means reflection, to think upon. It's when you, you savor God's word as you meditate on what it says. I'm not sure about you, but I'm a fast eater. Oftentimes, I see food as something as fuel that I've got to get down as fast as possible so I can move on for the rest of my day and everything else I've got to take care of. So food often becomes for me something I, I take down pretty quick, but there's one food that slows me down. Steak. You give me a good steak. Nice and hot. Seasonings are right. Juices are flowing. I slow down. And I savor every bite. Well, just as we are to savor food like a steak, so are we to savor the Word of God. To take time to meditate on all that it says, to internalize all that God has for us to understand. You see, far too often we treat our time alone with God like fast food. We're in and out as fast as possible. You see, if you find your devotional life being quick, if you find yourself being in a hurry, you're going to find your soul eventually becoming very shallow. Your relationship with God is not one that you're enjoying, but you're tolerating. Y'all, we have become a people who are in a big hurry. We got places to go, people to see, things to do. And yet we carry this hurry mindset over into our everyday lives, and it robs us of the blessing of enjoying being in the presence of God. And do you know what happens when you slow down and you read the Word of God and you enjoy it? You want more of it. You see, meditating on Scripture whets your appetite for more Scripture. Reading the Bible begets reading more Bible. It's like a hunger that's within you. you. You long for it. This is the theme you see throughout Psalm 119 is the psalm writer is hungry for the word. He wants the word. He wants to know God's word. There is just a longing deep within him. And the way that you develop a hunger and a taste for it is you just start reading. And all of a sudden, the more you read, the more you're like, I like the way this tastes. I want more of this. It's funny, I no longer desire the food of McDonald's. My palate has changed. I've grown up. Well, the same is true spiritually for all of us. Your palate changes. Your taste changes. The, the, the food that you desire is greater. You no longer desire the cotton candy of weak preaching. You no longer desire the weakness of a devotional that just gives you a general principle idea or idea. You want the Word of God. Because you know that the word is what saturates and it satisfies your soul. And so, so meditating on the scripture, it whets your appetite for just more of the scriptures. Now, can I relieve some mom guilt for a moment? There's probably some moms who are young moms here. And it is difficult for you to sit down and have a two-hour quiet time. It, it, it's almost an afterthought. Like, there is no way I could ever do this. I want to encourage you to show yourself grace. I was talking to a mom earlier in the service before this one, and she's, I said, how's sleeping through the night going? And she said, it's going. <laughs> I know what that means. But may I say to you, right now you're in a season where you're not going to be able to sit down for long periods of time just to just bask in the Word of God because you're busy. You're feeding and you're changing and you've got family obligations and a house to clean and so many different things going on. 
And so I want to encourage you to allow yourself grace. But maybe even while you're nursing or you're feeding your child or you're sitting still, pull out a card, a note card that has scripture that you've written down on it and use it as a time to meditate on the word. Allow that word to dwell deeply inside your soul. You see, one of the great gifts that you get to give to your family is taking time to know God's word, to meditate on it, and you're in a season in which you cannot sit for long periods of time. Now, I'll credit my wife because as our, our kids have gotten older, she has blocked off a time in the afternoon in which they get to choose. You get to take a nap or you get to read a book. But for the next two hours, I'm alone with Jesus. And, you're, and you don't need to interrupt me. And she, she focuses her time on that frame so that she can focus in on what the Lord has for her. Husbands, a free gift you can give to your wife is to give her time alone with her master. To take the kids for a walk, take them to the park, and let her be alone with Jesus. It serves not only your marriage and your family, but it serves the kingdom because you're allowing your bride, you're allowing the, these, this mother of your children time alone with Jesus that is so invaluable. But whether you're a, a truck driver or in law enforcement or a teacher or a businessman or a student, I want to encourage you, take time to meditate upon the Word of God. Well, thirdly, it's not just to read it and meditate on it, but you got to say it. Look with me at verse 169. The psalm writer writes, Let my cry reach you, Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea reach you. Rescue me according to your promise. My lips pour out praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue sings about your promise, for all your commands are righteous. The psalmist is crying out to the Lord, give me understanding, help me understand your word. I want to know your law. He's praying with like a desperate plea, God, give me insight into your precepts. My tongue sings about your promise. You see, your mouth is a tool that helps you understand and to memorize the word of God. Let me give you four ways that you can learn God's word by saying it, okay? It's four P words. They're not in your notes, but, but I'll give them to you really quick. The first one is this, is pray. Pray God's word. Well, you can pray back to the Lord the word that he has written to you. And so as you read the scriptures, pray it back to him. Praise him for who he is and how he has revealed himself to you. You see, you can know the will of God through the word of God. And when you start praying back to the Lord, the word, he will always affirm and answer yes to your request because it's in alignment with his word. A book I would commend to you is a book called Praying God's Word by Donald Whitney. Tremendous resource to help you grow in this discipline of praying back the word of God. The second P word is the word preach. You got to preach God's word. And we're going to talk more about this in a few weeks when we talk about personal evangelism and sharing the gospel with unbelievers. But you see, when you start preaching the word, whether it's to coworkers or neighbors or teammates, it's then that you're able to take the word and internalize it and use it. Yesterday, two Jehovah's Witnesses showed up to my door. And so I thought, well, this is a great opportunity. So I said, I enjoy conversations about Jesus. Are you guys interested? And they said, yes. And I said, well, I, I love the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, which I know they don't believe that. And the guy says, he, he's a Son of God. I said, no, no. I said, he's the Son of God. 
Kind of like in Colossians 1, that he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, and by him all things were made. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities, all things were made by him and for him, and through him all things hold together. Like in Isaiah 66, 1, it says the heavens are his throne, the earth is his footstool. Hebrews 1, 3 says he sustains the universe by the word of his power. I said, indeed, Jesus is God. Well, this person responded back to me, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. I said, oh, yes, he did. And he says, well, where is it? I said, I can tell you many places. We'll start in John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus is gathered with Pharisees, and he says, before Abraham was, I am. And I said, that's a reference back to Exodus chapter 3, when Moses meets with God through the burning bush, and he says, oh, God, who shall I say sent me? And God says, tell him, I am has sent you. I am that I am. I said, here is Jesus declaring himself, I am. And I said, to prove the point, look at the next verse. I said, in verse 59, it says the Pharisees picked up stones to try and kill Jesus. Why would they do that? It's because he was equating himself to be God. If you go backward to John chapter 5, verse 18, you're going to see that the Pharisees sought to stone Jesus because he called God his Father, making himself equal with God. They said, sir, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate the opportunity to gather with you. And as they walked away, I said, guys, here in my heart, you're in jeopardy. Your soul is at stake. Jesus has spoken clearly through his word. Well, yesterday at 10 a.m., did the Holy Spirit just zap me? That's years and years of memory, years and years of meditating. But in a moment that I needed it, I was able to, by the power of the Spirit, take the word and apply it. So it's not only praying God's word, it's preaching God's word. Number three, you praise God with his word. You praise God with his words. Many of the Psalms were written as praise music to sing to the Lord. And when you sing the word, you're planting truth into your heart. This is why we memorize songs so easily. God just hardwired your mind and your heart to remember songs. So when you take truth and you put it to music, it's amazing how God uses that to plant it within your hearts. That's why Paul says in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through what? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. So you praise God with his word. The fourth P word is the word push. And you encourage, you push people along in the faith. They keep going, keep following Jesus, don't back down, persevere. I know you're going through a trial, but cling tight to Jesus. He is sufficient and praiseworthy. Hold fast. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day of Christ Jesus approaching, Hebrews 10.25. You use the word as a means of encouraging and pushing believers along in their faith. So you speak it. you got to say the word. Fourthly, you got to treasure it. Verse 103, the psalm writer says, How sweet your word is to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. You see, the word of God is not a burden to carry. It's a delight to the soul. And God has come to give you freedom, 
abundant life, eternal joy. Why in the world would he burden you down with a law that feels like a, a burden on your back to carry? He came to set you free to enjoy who he is. You see, if a dictator commands you to obey him, it's a burden. But if a benevolent king, to his own sacrifice, gets down and fulfills the law that you couldn't fulfill, and he dies the death that you deserved, and he rises again on the third day, there is nothing that you would not do for him. When you see a king get off his throne and humble himself to the point of death on a cross, or his blood is poured out for the sins of mankind, for your sin, for your rebellion, Jesus takes the punishment. And he rises again, and those who trust in him by faith are given eternal life. You see, when he gives you commands, it's no longer a burden. It's a joy. It's a delight. You long to serve the king who loves you to the point where he takes your death through his death on the cross. You see, the gospel motivates obedience to the word. When you understand what Jesus has done for you, by his grace, you want to obey. Because by the Spirit, he overwhelms you. He, he pours his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5.5. 5. So now you want more of God's law. Like you desire to obey more of who he is. You rejoice in his decrees more than the world's riches. His word is sweeter than honey. Since the path to discovering the greatest treasure, which is Christ, then memorizing his word is not a burden. It's a delight. Like an explorer who crouches down on both knees and he opens up a treasure chest and pulls out the riches of gold and silver, diamonds and pearls, rubies and sapphire. So you and I get to sit down on our knees and open up the treasure chest of God's word, and we get to pull out unsearchable riches. But y'all, you gotta dig for it. Anyone who says this is easy is lying. It is hard work to dig into the scriptures and to pull out the riches of what God has for us. But when you discover the riches of God's word, it is yours for the keeping. You get to bask and to celebrate the riches that he has revealed to you in his word. And when you discover the treasure, it satisfies your soul forever. Fifthly, the final key to scripture memory is simply do it. Verse 112, the psalm writer says, I am resolved to obey your statutes to the very end. When you obey what the word says, the Bible comes alive, y'all. It's like this thing is rigged. <laughs> it's like when you do what the Bible says, it works. It's crazy. It's like God designed it that way. But when you start doing what this word says, it works. Like life begins to make sense. Here's the key. you got to apply it. Maybe you're wrestling through with your, your thought life and you're struggling with purity of thoughts. Well, then you go to Paul's command in Philippians 4.8. 
that whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Maybe you're finding that your, your words are sharp, full of slander, gossip, cursing, or inaccurate. You're, you're, you're not speaking the truth. Well, then you, 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 you go to the prayer of King David in Psalm 19, I think it's verse 14, where he says, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Maybe you're wrestling with fear your fear of the future, your fear of, of, of a person, the fear of a situation, then you go to Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, where the Lord says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, when you start doing the word, you start applying it to your life, it is then that it begins to go inside of you, you internalize it, and it changes you forever. And over and over and over, we keep going back to the same word until we go home to be with Jesus, in which we will finally see the living word. But until that day, we keep going to God's promises that he has made just for you, for you to hide in your heart so that you might not sin against him. So, Kenneth, how can I get better at this? How can I get better at Scripture memory? Let me give you four quick ways. The first is this. Have a plan. Have a plan. If you've got a struggle that you continually keep fighting, go find Scriptures that help you fight it. Memorize those and have a plan. Maybe you've got a passage of Scripture or an entire chapter. Uh, Christy and I, a while back, memorized Romans 8 together. Um, I've forgotten many of it, or much of it. She can still nail it just like that. It's not fair. But that's just something you can do together, is just memorizing the word. But you've got to have a plan. Number two, write it down. Have a note card that you keep with you. Put it on the dashboard of your car. I was talking with a mom after the, the first service this morning, and she says for her girls, she's going to write scripture verses on cards and hang it up on the mirror in their bathroom so that while they're brushing their teeth, they're memorizing the word. Number three, work at it daily. Y'all, I wish I had a photographic memory. In fact, for those of you who can look at something and memorize it immediately, you're cheating. <laughs> it's hard, y'all. Scripture memory is hard work. But if you discipline yourself daily, it's amazing how over time you're rewarded with more of it. When we discipline ourselves physically by watching what we eat and exercising, it produces big muscles. If we discipline ourselves financially by not spending more than we take in, it's amazing. You have more money at the end of the month. When you memorize and discipline yourself to dig into God's word, you're rewarded at the end with more God. You get more of him. You get more of the greatest treasure there is, but you got to work at it daily. Fourth and finally, give yourself grace. Give yourself grace. Hear me today. God loves you just as much if you memorize the New Testament than if you don't. He doesn't love you more if you've memorized the book of Romans in Greek. He just loves you. And the grace that he provides for us is that we don't have to perform to earn God's favor the favor he gives us is because of the performance of his son, Jesus. You don't have to memorize scripture in order for God to like you. He already loves you. 
And so you memorize his word. You see, grace is what drives your desire to know more of him. You see, grace only liberates you from guilt. Grace empowers you to yearn for more of God's word. So what's with the marbles? Well, on your way in, you had the opportunity to get a marble. Each marble, for the rest of this year, one of these is going to, memor- is going to represent every Bible verse that you memorize. And so when you have a, a scripture verse that you memorize, you come on Sunday mornings and you drop a marble into the internalize, into the, the memory jar. And how awesome is it going to be at the end of the year when we fill up the stage with all of these marbles that represent every scripture verse that our entire church has memorized together. This morning, my son came with me really early. and He says, Dad, can I go put a marble in the memorize verse or memorize jar and I said sure buddy well, what's your verse and he goes you know, Genesis 2 and he quotes it and I'm like yep, you're free to go knock it out buddy and he was so excited because now he gets to put a marble in there and that's something we get to do as a family is we're going to memorize scripture together we're going to learn God's word and then the kids they get to participate they get to start dropping the marbles in the scripture memory jar We do it for the sake of encouragement, the sake of accountability, but this is a way for us to continue to stay on top of it, a way for all of us to go through this together. So here's the challenge I've got for you, is I want to challenge you to memorize four Bible verses per month. That's on average about one per week. And how awesome is it going to be is the depth of your knowledge of God's Word when you get to drop these marbles in there as a representation of, oh my goodness, look at all the Scripture that we have gotten to memorize together this year. You see, as a church, Westwood's about investing in people who will impact their world for Jesus. And the way that you and I get to do that is not only through inviting it's through internalizing the Word of God.